We're going to be looking at Hebrews 5:11 through 6:3 this morning. So the end of chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 6 in in Hebrews. Uh, my dad grew up on a farm and his intention was always to be a farmer, uh, but circumstances prevented that from happening and what that meant for me was that I did not grow up on a farm as much as I would have probably liked that. And I think I've probably I think I did probably overplay this in my mind as as a kid, but it seemed to me as a kid as I watched my dad that he took all of his farming energy and the farming blood in his veins and he poured it all into our yard. We did have a yard. We did have grass growing. And uh, at, at the point where I grew old enough, it was, it was very exciting when I was initiated into a sacred part of, of Ristyle life, lawn care. I was so excited when my dad started handing me some of these responsibilities and even getting to drive. We had a riding lawnmower and three uh, acres, we didn't mow all that, but uh, a big chunk of that going uh, back. We lived on the edge of town. And uh, I just remember the first time getting to drive that riding lawnmower. Had to go at least three miles an hour. I was, uh, I was excited and uh, very excited for these responsibilities he was giving me. And as I grew older, he gave me more responsibilities, and the expectations went higher and higher. And um, i got to say, though, as I started to grow older, uh, mowing lawn started to become more and more dull to me. It just didn't quite have the same uh, fresh wonder that it did when I, when I, when I first started. And I, and I wasn't jumping up to mow the lawn anymore by the time I was uh, probably in high school. Uh, but fast forward about 10 years and married and uh, expecting our first child and uh, become for the first time an owner of a home and the owner of a yard. And I have whose farming blood flowing through my veins. So sure enough, I'm, I'm outside and I'm, I'm analyzing my lawn and I'm agonizing over different parts of the, the yard that aren't quite growing the way that I, I wish they were growing. And I had this huge patch that I wanted to tear out and then re reseed. So who of course did I call? I called my dad and knew he could help me with this. So he, he comes and we uh, he kind of shows me how this is done. We seed it and uh, he kind of instructs me, gives me some tips for fertilizer and a watering regimen and Sure enough, a few weeks later, I've got healthy grass growing. And here we go, victory, where we once had weeds and thistles, now we've got nice green, green grass. And uh, so the next year, there's a smaller area of lawn that I wanted to do. I figured I'm ready to handle this on my own. So I did what I thought we did last year and uh, watered it. And I get some initial growth. And then I go, I, I get some pretty quickly though, it, it turns and it, and it dies. And I think, oh, what did I do wrong? And maybe it's just the seed. So the next year I did the same thing and seed and water and this, the same thing as the first year, but quick growth and then quick, quick death. I can't figure out what's going on. So I, of course, the, the next year finally I, I 
had to humble myself and ask my dad for help again. I just, I don't know what I'm doing wrong here. So he comes, puts the same seed down. The only difference is he puts it down, I don't. Same fertilizer, same water regimen. A few weeks later, beautiful grass. Beautiful grass. What? Apparently, I don't have the same uh, agriculture. I don't know. The, 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 the farming blood must sort of get diluted pretty fast or something. I don't, I don't know. But it's, it's devastating when you put all kinds of work into something, especially growing something, when you want something to grow and it won't grow. I start spending day after day after day out there watering it diligently and just to have no growth. And uh, that's part of the problem that we're looking at this morning in, in the book of Hebrews. So Hebrews 5, starting in verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For by though this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Let's pray. Father, we even ask right now that you would permit us to not be dull of hearing, but that there would be an eagerness to listen to you, hear your word. I just ask that for all of us, whether it's me speaking or those listening, that we would all come underneath the authority and goodness of what you have spoken. And in this case, in the book of Hebrews, and I pray that you would change our hearts as we hear. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. So what we have in this, what we have in this passage is a problem. Uh, the author so far has been going to great lengths to describe Jesus' majestic glory in the book of, of Hebrews. At the beginning of chapter 4, we, uh, we see that Jesus is the one who leads his people into an eternal Sabbath rest, what the Sabbath of the Old Testament was ultimately pointing to. Uh, we see at the end of chapter 4 that Jesus is a heavenly high priest who doesn't mediate our relationship with God uh, in, in the shadower, shadowy earthly temple, but he, 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 he stands before God in the very presence of God and, and mediates our relationship with God. And at the beginning of chapter 5, we see he's not only a heavenly high priest, but a perfect high priest. He's perfect because he understands our weakness, because he himself has experienced weakness. And so he can deal gently with us, and he can help us in our weakness. And he's about to go into another aspect of Jesus' priesthood, how, how it's a royal or, or a kingly 
priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, but but before he goes on to describe Jesus' connection with this this Old Testament figure, Melchizedek, he, he stops here to lament the spiritual condition of these these Jewish believers, to, to warn them. And then this isn't the first time he's warned them. We've seen uh, some of these warnings already in chapter 2 and chapter 3. And, and, and here in chapter 5, going into chapter 6, he has perhaps his strongest language of warning for these, for these Christians. And though we're not a small community of Jewish Christians in the ancient world today, by, by God's grace, these words are needed just as much today as they were needed 2,000 years ago. I think the best way to look at this passage is uh, just pretty simple to l- understand the problem and and look at the look at the solution. So that's that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna spend most of our time focusing on what the text focuses on, which is which is the problem. So in order for us to understand why a warning for first century Jews is relevant to us today, we we have to get our our minds around what what the problem is here. And the first part of the problem introduced in, in verse 11 is, is a problem of hearing. If you look at verse 11, the author writes, about this we have much to say uh, regarding Jesus and, and his priesthood and Melchizedek. But with this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. This, this word dull, it means lazy or, or sluggish. This is the word you might use in the ancient world to describe uh, a careless worker. So when you read dull there, picture the person on the, on the other side of the counter who is demonstrating zero motivation to take your order or, or process your payment. Uh, you think of the person falling asleep at their desk. This is, this is the player who gets up slowly and just sort of wanders back to the huddle. This is, this is a sluggish hearing. The, the attitude of these Christians toward, toward biblical truth and, and towards Christ, they, they lack motivation to listen. They, they lack enthusiasm. And, and when it comes to spiritual things, they become dull and, and sluggish. Have you ever experienced this? Trying to communicate something important to someone else only to have them give you little to no feedback as if they're not even listening, as if you're wasting their time. I can, I can relate to this, thinking of times teaching uh, college freshmen. I can definitely think of this, or relate to this, trying to teach uh, things to my kids. Sometimes it's incredibly frustrating. You have something you really want to communicate, and, and all you have is, uh, is sleepishness, sluggishness. It's one thing when you're trying to communicate uh, requirements for a class assignment, or it's one thing when you're trying to get someone to understand that it's time to pick up the toys and, and get ready for bed, but it's, it's another thing when, when someone claiming to be a Christian is dull towards the things of God and, and what God has done for us in Christ. There, there's a danger here, and, and the danger is a perpetual spiritual infancy, just a, a perpetual, continuous baby stage in Christianity. There's no desire to hear. This is a person who's not growing. And the concern, the ultimate concern, is that this indicates a lack of spiritual life. 
there's no growth. And so although part of the problem is intellectual, and we're going to talk more about the intellectual problem coming up, don't miss how, how the author of Hebrews introduces the problem here. It's not primarily a mind problem, a thinking, an intellectual problem. It's primarily a heart problem. These are people who are not interested in hearing. Not only have they become dull of hearing, but in verse 12, it talks about how they need a teacher again. If you look at verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Again, he says, again, you need to be taught the basics. This, this, you were taught the basics at one point already, but, but it, all needs, it all needs to be reviewed. The basic principles of the oracles of God, li- literally the basic elements of the beginning of the words of God. And many commentators agree here that this, this, there's a connection here to the Old Testament teaching with, with the oracles of God. And of course, this, this Jewish audience would have been familiar with, with the Old Testament uh, but the Old Testament needed to, in, in those days, just like it does in this today, be, be understood in light of, in light of Jesus Christ. And, and the concern is that the, there's spiritual infants here who are reverting back to Judaism in, in light of recent persecution. And, and the author here is lamenting the fact that these professing believers, they need the ABCs of Christianity. Again, they, they, they're stuck in repeating kindergarten. And he says, by this time, they ought to be teachers. And, and just to clarify here, he's, he's not saying that, that every Christian ought to expect to eventually be a pastor. Or a, every Christian needs to have some sort of formal, recognized teaching ministry in the church. The New Testament is, is, is clear about how there's specific offices and, and positions that, uh, that uh, the Bible describes as gifts to the church that help equip Christians for, for ministry, like we see in Ephesians 4. But what he means here is, is that to some degree, every Christian is, is called to teach in some way, is, is expected to be able to teach in, in at least in some way. Every follower of Christ has been given the same commission by Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of, in the, name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Every follower of Christ is to be involved in this disciple-making process, baptizing them and and then teaching them. We're we're all to be involved in that. But you can't help disciple and teach others if, if you need the basic things yourself. Now, if you're a newer believer, it's understandable that you need more time. Uh, that you need the time to, to get your bearings, right? There's a clear progression in, in, in Christianity. We all start as spiritual infants, uh, and we all start to grow slowly. We start to take our first steps as we, as we start to grow up into maturity. And, and of course, we never arrive spiritually. Uh, we're, we're always growing. Full-blown spiritual maturity will ultimately take place at the, at the point of glorification, which none of us have experienced yet. So, so we expect new believers to take some time to grow, but, but the problem, again, as we see in this text, is that at some point, every Christian ought to be ready to and able to teach or communicate something to someone, at least the basics. 
uh, if the writer of Hebrews were addressing us today, I think his concern might be something like, do you come here week after week and year after year and nothing ever changes in your life? You never get to the point where you have something to offer someone else. Uh, Christianity is, is, is a life. There's, there's life to it. You expect grass to grow when you, when you plant seed. Animals grow. Humans grow. And, and this perpetual infancy is a bad sign. There's a sign that something's dangerously wrong. You don't bring a baby home from the hospital, and if it never grows, you don't say, oh, it's just one of those perpetual infants. No, after a few weeks or a few months, you're concerned that something's wrong. Seriously wrong. And this is what the author of Hebrews is, is concerned about. If your conception of, of the church is something like there's two types of Christians, you have teachers and you have students, uh, you should abandon that, that paradigm for thinking about the church. There are two categories of Christians. Uh, and what they are, though, is, is future teachers and, and teachers. Again, broad in understanding of teachers. It's not necessarily someone standing at a podium lecturing, but it's someone who can, who can share biblical truth with, with others. The author of Hebrews illustrates his concern here at the end of verse 12 when he brings up this, this issue of, of milk. If you look at the end of verse 12, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And the concept's fairly easy to grasp here. Uh, that there's a point in life when a diet of, of milk is, a, is appropriate. Uh, no one questions why you're not giving your three-month-old steak. No one, no one is surprised by that. But you go to someone's home, and if they, they hand their teenager a bottle of Enfamil or Similac formula, that's weird. That there's something... What's going on in this house? That's, there's, there's something that, that's off there. The cover story of the, the May 21st, 2012 issue of Time magazine was entitled, Are You Mom Enough? And I'll never forget, we were getting Time magazine at the time. I remember when it came in the mail, pictured on the front is this picture of this three-year-old boy standing on a chair nursing from his, from his mother. And I know there's small debates about you know, when it's appropriate to stop breastfeeding and, and all that, but, but it's, this kid is standing on a chair. He's looking at the camera while this, this picture is being taken. Uh, and, and the article is interesting in a whole bunch of ways, but it, it demonstrates the point. We all know that children are meant to move on from milk to meat. Martin Lloyd-Jones summarized what, what the author here is saying well here, I think. He says, in essence, you are a church, you are Christian people, and I do not want to give you milk any longer. I want to give you strong meat because it is so full of comfort and consolation and strength. But I have to give you milk again. I have to go back and make sure you, that you're really Christians. Spiritual milk is associated with these six foundational elements that are in verses 1 and 2. If 
you look there, repentance from dead works and faith toward God, instruction about washings and and the laying on of hands, the the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This this might sound like an odd list, uh, and and we actually don't have total clarity on, on why exactly he points to those particular six things. What we probably have here is uh, is, is evidence of a, of a catechism or, or creedal list that the, the early church would use in preparing new believers for baptism. We have lots of examples of things like this, and that, that seems to be probably what he's pointing to here, the, the, the very first things that they would have had to know before they would have been approved to be, to be baptized. As we look at some of those things, repentance from dead works and faith toward God, this is foundational Christianity. God is is holy, and we have sinfully rejected and rebelled against his law, and God has sent his son who's lived a perfectly righteous life that we have not lived, and then Jesus went to the cross and bore the punishment for sin and then died on the cross, and then he rose from the dead three days later, and he offers forgiveness for sins for everyone who will do two things. Two things, which is really one thing with with sort of two different sides to it. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Repent, turn away from your works that lead to death and, and the things that you do in vain to earn God's favor. Turn away, repent from dead works and put your faith in God who's who's Jesus Christ and in Him alone. If you don't know anything, you need to start with that. Start, start right there, repentance and faith. And the other things he goes on to list there, uh, again, it's not entirely clear. What we might have is, with those last four elements, is two things associated with the beginning of Christianity and then uh, things associated with more towards the end. Uh, it's possible that uh, you know, instruction about washing and the laying on of hands could, could connect to baptism or our baptism and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. It's possible that it connects with uh, some of the clarification about the Jewish rites of, of ceremonial washing, the resurrection and of the dead and eternal judgment. Uh, these are the great hope of every Christian whose, whose sins have been covered in Christ, awaiting when everything is made new, including our own bodies with the resurrection of the dead, and, and then eternal judgment, knowing that judgment and the price for judgment has been paid by Christ. The, these six elemental foundational things, what they represent, what they represent is spiritual milk. What they represent is the beginning of the Christian life. But, but it's something that's meant to be left behind for solid food. And, and solid food, again, going back up to verses 13 and 14, it equips us in two ways. First, it, it equips us to be Teachers, it equips us to be skilled in the word of righteousness. Solid spiritual food helps us understand God's word. It gives us the point where we're ready to describe what the Christian faith looks like, how righteousness comes from Jesus Christ, and how righteousness now characterizes the the lives of, of Christians who are turning away from sin and continuing to put their hope in Jesus. So it helps us become more skilled to communicate God's truth to others. Solid food, though, also, it helps us, as we look at verse 14, it helps us hone our powers of discernment 
trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Discernment is an incredibly important part of the Christian life that is not given nearly enough attention. Paul writes to the Philippians that his prayer for them was that their love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. He writes, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Give growth language there again. Fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Or, Or Paul writes to the Ephesians that God gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of, the, of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Christians are to love with knowledge and discernment. Christians are used to talking about love, and we should be used to talking about love. It's it's critical, but, but notice the emphasis Paul places on Christian knowledge and Christian discernment. These are things that can't be cultivated in perpetual spiritual infancy. And what's one of the main reasons God gave pastors and teachers? It's so that Christians would be equipped to be able to discern. So they wouldn't be vulnerable and easily taken advantage of. There's a reason why we don't let our kids go outside uh, our property line when they go play outside. They have to stay close. And the reason is they lack discernment. They don't know where is safe and where isn't safe and what is safe and who is safe and who isn't. We don't let them go outside. It's because also they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable. Of course, the goal is that they would mature and that their ability to discern would be trained by by constant practice. And that's what we anticipate as children grow older to the point that we, we send them off. There's something wrong if they never leave, right? They grow up and they go somewhere, and I hope our kids do. The image of the church is not mature pastors bottle-feeding a congregation's full of spiritual infants. The local church is not, is not a spiritual nursery. The image in our mind, as we're reading Hebrews here, of the church should be people at various stages, all growing, pastors serving up robust, meaty meals to growing adults who all work together to raise up the spiritual infants around us. Is is this not a huge issue in in the American church today? Would you describe the church in our society as mature? Is, is Is discerning the word you would use to describe American Christianity? I wouldn't. You look at what what Christians consume their lives with. You look at how they engage with each other and with non-Christians in the public square and uh, even worse, online. You You look at what Christians decide to argue over 
and, and how they argue with each other. You look at how Christians engage in politics. You look at the, the music they listen to and the entertainment they choose. You look at what Christians apparently by marketing and sales see as compelling Christian literature. You look at what Christians demonstrate in knowledge of these surveys that go out on, on Christian doctrine, people who are professing to be Christians who go to church regularly given to sort of basic doctrinal surveys and, and, the, and the results of those. We're children. It would be one thing if we're talking about a game or a club or even government or social work, but we're talking about eternal life. We're talking about the glory of God. There's, there is literally nothing of, of greater substance. Nothing of greater importance that we could occupy our time with. Chil children lack trained senses. Tra tra they, they lack the trained sensibilities to, to be able to discern between good and evil. Children don't know when they should fear. And that can characterize us as well. When should we be afraid? Children are afraid when there's nothing to fear. And, and then you have children who are fine when there really is something to be afraid of. I don't know what we're doing wrong in, in our home. As a kid, I always wanted to sort of push the limits on what I was allowed to like watch. And here I'm suggesting to our, our six-year-old, you know, maybe we should check out Narnia. Maybe that'd be fun. I don't think I'm ready for that, Dad. Okay. You know, but they, have, they, have no, they don't know what to be scared of. Children lack trained senses to discern between good and evil. We, you know, people ask, we have, all the, we have all these churches, all these Christians. Where, where are all the pastors? Where are all the people in ministry? Where, where are all the missionaries being being cultivated up and going to the nations? Where, where is all the sacrificial giving to spread the gospel far and wide? But I think we should, we should look again. Most of, most of these churches, most of our churches, if they even faithfully articulate the basics of Christianity, they do little more than entertain people. And we, sh we shouldn't be surprised that shallow Christianity does not produce burly, vigorous spiritual life. And it's easy to look outside and, and roll our eyes, but we, we ought to look inside too. What about us? What about me and you? Is solid spiritual food a part of your diet? Is this a priority in your life as you look at what you prioritize? Is it even on the menu in your life? Are you content to live on, on spiritual milk and, and just get by? Have you become dull of hearing? Just come week after week and that's good, that's good. On to the next thing. On the one hand, you have, you have babies who, who refuse to grow up and be teachers. On, on the other hand, you have a very similar problem that stems from the same issue. You, you can have babies who think they are teachers. You, this, is, this is the Christian who has an over-realized sense of their own maturity. You imagine the child who thinks she is, she is older than she really is, and so it's, it's fine to go water off down, down the block, down the street. 
or the, or the, the child who gathers her younger siblings around to teach them something, like, like how to cook when then she has no idea what, what she's doing. When we become dull of hearing, we, we, we become prideful and we, we overestimate ourselves. We, we think we're something that we're not. We think we're examples of spiritual discernment when we're actually examples of the very immaturity that we look down on others for. And again, this, this is because we're dull of hearing. We've stopped hearing and, and we think it's time to, it's time to start speaking. We, we think we should be teachers because we chew our milk. The church with infants teaching is no more healthy than the church with infants who will never, never grow up. Perpetual spiritual infancy, this, this is a dangerous category because ultimately it's not a biblical category. Perpetual infancy. Christians grow. Living beings grow. And if there is not growth, we may need to do the painful task of looking into whether there is really, truly life to begin with. So the author of Hebrews describes the problem in three ways. These people become dull to hear. They become in need of a teacher again to teach the basic things. And, and they, they need milk, not solid food. As, as one commentator summarizes their, their predicament, these, these Christians are being warned that their spiritual life has become shallow, useless, and undiscerning. Shallow, useless, and undiscerning discerning. Does that describe your spiritual life? And what do we do in response to this? We look, looking at verses 1 through 3 here to, to conclude. The solution to this problem is that we need to act and we need God to act. We need to act, looking at verse 1, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of, and he, and he lists the six elements or six things related to elementary or foundational Christianity and, and spiritual milk there. So to summarize, we need to leave spiritual infancy behind us, which starts with listening up. Listening. We, we first need to do, we need to change our disposition from dullness to eagerness. Figure out what, what is actually important, what we actually need to hear. You listen when, something, when you think something important is being said. What we need to do is come to God's Word humbly and eager to learn, eager to grow. What we need is for the solid spiritual food of God's Word to train our powers of discernment so we can distinguish good from evil. So we, we need to start by listening up and the second, we need to move on to spiritual maturity, which, which involves beginning just establishing the foundation. Make sure that instead, the foundation's firmly in place. And listen, the foundation is good news. <clears throat> You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You have failed. You have failed to love God. You have failed to love others. You have failed to love God with your mind and your soul, and your heart, and your strength. But God sent Christ, and if you repent of your sins, and you put all of your hope in Him, God forgives sin. God forgives sin. He forgives your dead works, the 
things that you did that led to death. And he's so gracious, he doesn't even forgive those. He even forgives the self-righteous, the things we do that we think earn us a special place in God's kingdom and in God's favor. He even forgives us hearts of self-righteousness, dead works that ultimately never lead anywhere. If you're not a Christian this morning, I hope you will do that. I hope you will repent of your sins and put your hope in Christ. A sermon challenging Christians to grow up is a perfect opportunity to become an infant with with real spiritual life. So you have to establish the foundation and then you need to build on the foundation. Notice what it means or what this means here to leave the doctrine of Christ behind. Uh, This doesn't mean that we leave the gospel behind and we sort of go on to, you know, bigger and and better things. Uh, The gospel is the foundation. That's the language that it uses. This is foundational language. You you don't build elsewhere after you lay the foundation. Uh, you, You leave, the way we leave elementary things behind is we start building on top of the foundation. The, the, the foundation is fundamental to every brick that's, that's laid afterward. And the author is saying here, let's move on from needing to lay the foundation again and again and again. Let's build something. Do you need to build something? Are you building something? Is something being built on the foundation of your spiritual life? And the way we do this is we start eating solid food. Little by little. Solid food, of course, the easiest way to summarize that is is God's Word. God's Word and everything we can learn about God and ourselves and the the world through it. We start eating solid food. What what might this look like for you? Maybe it just starts with needing to listen and and read and and take it in. I mean, do, do you know... Your Bible. Do I know my Bible? Do do I even do I read my Bible? Is there any kind of consistency of just at least of hearing it, just starting to listen? Maybe it's not a hearing issue. Maybe it's an it's an interpreting issue. Do do you need help interpreting the Bible? Do I understand what God's word means and and how it explains what I see all around me? This this will take an investment. This won't just happen. God doesn't just download this stuff to us. But a heart that's eager to hear from God is, is, pursues this, this stuff. Maybe you need to focus on applying God's word. Do you hear it and, and understand it? But are you putting it into practice? We need, to, we need to act. There's something you have to do. You have to write something down on paper that you're going to do to listen. To, to, to build something on the foundation that is hopefully already there. We need to act, but, but as we see in verse 3, we, we need God to act. And this we will do if God permits. As if this is something we could ever do on our own. Think about it. This, this is what I said just a little bit ago. We need, what we need to do is change our disposition from dullness to eagerness. What we need to do is, is we need to have humble hearts eager to learn and eager to grow. What we need is for the solid spiritual food of God's word to train our powers of discernment to distinguish good and evil. We can't make that happen left to 
our, ourselves. So, so we, we end here with one of the classic tensions in Scripture that just, it does, it transcends our complete understanding. But it's things like what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. God gives the growth. Here's what we know. God, God does, He holds us responsible. All right? It's due to our own deficiencies that we are dull to hear. That, that is on us every time we are dull to hear. So, so we know that God holds us responsible to act, but then we also know that any progress we make is all by the grace of God. So what this should do is this should lead us to plead with God for help. Beg God to change our hearts. Trusting in who God is. Trusting in things like 1 Peter 3.9, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And if over the weeks and the months and the years to come, we, we find spiritual growth, our boast will, will, will only be in God. It will, it will not be in ourselves. And that, that is what ought to characterize Christians, people who are continually and consistently boasting in God. So I, I still consider myself a novice at growing grass, and I don't know if that's ever going to improve. But the grass that I have, it keeps growing. It keeps growing consistently, the, the, at least the grass that is alive there. It keeps needing to be mowed, which I'm not as excited about as I was when I was a little kid. But, but thankfully, that's a sign of life. There's signs of life there that it continues to grow, and and two and a half years ago, uh, when we welcomed Luke into our family, I knew one thing immediately when the boy was born, that if Luke grows up, and I expect that he's going to grow up, one day there will be another initiation into a sacred part of Ristau life, lawn care. And I don't know if he'll ever be able to grow grass like his grandpa, but my prayer for him is the same as my prayer for all of us, that one day he will repent of his sins and put his hope in Christ as a spiritual infant, but then that he will grow up into that spiritual maturity, building on the foundation of the elementary things of Christ so that, so that regardless of what life brings, his faith will remain firm and steadfast and, and fruitful which is what ought to characterize all of us. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, and this we will do if God permits. Let's pray. Father, we are not interested in nominal Christianity. There's no use for a church full of fake plants that need no water, that need no sun, that, that never grow. They just show up and look nice. God, we recognize that it can be tempting to put our spiritual lives in neutral. But, but help us to recognize the danger in this. And that, that the danger we're in right now, if, if that's what characterizes us, 
Father, would you give us a hunger for solid spiritual food? Would you grant us that that we would go after it? Would you you permit us to grow for the sake of your glory? Would you bring people into our lives that, that we can teach Forgive us for, for being less equipped than we should be by this time to teach. Help us at the same time to, to put our hope in you and not in ourselves, in our own abilities. We thank you that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for every dull-hearted day of our lives. And we pray, O oh Spirit, come. Put strength in every stride and give grace for every hurdle that we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant good and faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.